Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, a podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them. And way back in the fall of 2018, we had an episode hosted by me when I was sick. Okay. I, I listened to it again to prepare for this one. And God, I sound terrible. I for some reason I didn't have any of my like clicks or coughs or throat clearings. <sighs> so it's just on one hand you making very good points, and on the other hand me just wheezing. <laughs> I, I I might have a sore throat today too, but it's fine because the topic of the episode today, <laughs> the topic of the episode last year was a prequel to the Ocean's Eleven series. Okay. And today we're going in the other direction. Today we're officially making the sequel. Today I am pitching Ocean's Nine. <laughs> awesome. Now let me tell you about my face journey that got me to this point. Because it started when me and my family were watching Zombieland 2. Okay. That's only relevant in the fact that once we finished watching it, we switched to normal live TV. And the channel that we happened to be on for normal live TV was playing the second half of The Hustle which is a movie that came out last year starring Anne Hathaway and I forgot her name, Rebel Wilson. Yeah. I almost said Rumor Willis, but that's someone completely different. Yeah. And for a moment I was thinking Melissa McCarthy, but yeah. I mean, Melissa McCarthy and Rebel Wilson have a Venn diagram that's a circle when it comes to their roles. Yeah. And this movie was no different, but hey, it played to Rebel Strengths, and it was really fun watching Anne Hathaway being a smooth and slimy con artist. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the premise of The Hustle is that it's a remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. So basically, there's a very high-class con artist, Anne Hathaway, and she finds herself uh, at the having to share territory, basically, with a much younger, much cruder, up-and-coming con artist, Rebel Wilson. Yeah. And so she decides to take Rebel under her wing, and then eventually they place a bet between themselves that whoever can con a specific mark out of $500,000 within a certain amount of time gets to stay in that area for as long as they like, and the loser has to leave forever. It was mostly fine for the half that I saw, except the ending was bad and dumb, because it kind of... the. It, so it reverses every aspect of the original Dirty Rockin' Scoundrels, including the gender, which means that it keeps a twist. And so it was a fairly feminist twist when they did a twist in the original Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. So when you flip that... Okay, so the twist... D- Listeners, I'm about to spoil the twist for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and through the transitive property th- for the hustle as well. The twist is that the mark that the two con people are after is themselves a con artist and they are conning the two con artists out of their money, while the con artists think that they're conning the mark. Okay, that's a pretty clever twist. And at the end, the original mark comes back and decides to team up with the two con artists, and I guess they form a throuple? Uh, that, at that point, I'm unclear. With Steve Martin and Michael Caine, okay. Yes. In 1988, it should yeah. be said that was the original movie. Yeah, so... When it's two guys fighting over uh, conning a woman, and that turns out the woman outsmarted them both, that's really clever and kind of feminist. I mean, it's yeah. a very baseline feminist, but still. When you gender flip every single aspect, and at the end of the hustle, it turns out that it was just one young guy conning two like women who we're supposed to assume are very intelligent, then it's just like, oh, haha, the women were silly and not as bright as we thought they were. Take that, audience. 
Yeah. It just left me feeling weird and uncomfy. And so I wanted to reboot the hustle, but then I was like, no, because then it would just be changing it back to... Dirty Run Scoundrels. Yeah. Like, it's kind of has run its course, as far as I can think. And if I change it too much, it may not necessarily resemble the original thing. But you know what? You know what we missed out on was Anne Hathaway being a con artist in Ocean's 8. Yes. Because the twist for Ocean's 8 is that Anne Hathaway, well, actually, it's a little bit like Dora and Scoundrel. She starts off as, not the mark, she starts off as the mule, basically. Yeah. And then she figures out that there's a con going on and, like, worms her way in and eventually helps the rest of the girls pull everything off. Mm-hmm. And she kind of becomes part of their group by the end, but only like in a friendly way, not necessarily a professional con artist way. Yeah. So, hey, let's pick up that thread. Let's pick up on everyone's threads and let's see what would be happening if we did in Oceans 9. Cool. So at the end of Oceans 8, everyone was about $30 million richer. So yeah. Of the eight characters, Kate Blanchett's character Lou went on a cross-country mo- motorcycle road trip. Mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway's character Daphne, the actress, she dovetailed into becoming a director and used the money to help fund her own films. Cool. Mindy Kaling's character Amita went on a Tinder date in Paris. Nice. That, that was the extent of what we saw. And presumably she also moved out away from her uh, overbearing mother. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Paulson's character, Tammy, basically started her own uh, black market. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, Tammy was the fixer. She got you all the stuff that fell off the back of a truck. Yeah. And so when we uh, see her at the end of Ocean's 8, she's basically in a warehouse full of goods that she has, quote unquote, obtained. (laughs) And she's still parenting her kids over the phone. Yep. Aquafina's character, Constance, uh, got her own house and became a YouTuber. Nice. She Oh, she buys a spacious loft in the city. That's pretty good, especially for New York. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess they were in New York. I forgot. <laughs> we're, still, we're still not in Vegas yet. I'm saving that for Ocean's 10. Okay. Um, Rihanna's character, Nineball, uh, she was the hacker, and she opened her own pool hall called Nines. Yep. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter's character, Rose... Uh, started her own fashion line, or, well, restarted her fashion business, because she used to be a big name, then she kind of had a fall from grace, and then she helped use the Met Gala plot in Ocean's 8 to kind of catapult herself back up. Also, $30 million sure helped. Oh, yeah. And then we don't see anything specific on Debbie Ocean, what she did, but because all we saw was her visiting Danny's grave and saying, hey, it was pretty cool, you would have liked it. And then still no confirmation on whether Danny is dead or not. And I, I guarantee if they do make more sequels, they're going to say, hey, by the way, Danny faked his death. Wah, wah. Yeah, because like on the one hand, Danny probably made a lot of enemies, especially in Vegas, because that place is still run by the mafia. On the other hand, he's capable of anything. Yeah. And like even, even when Willie Banks threatened him in Ocean's 13, Danny said, I know all the guys you'd send after me and they like me more than they like you. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. And I actually, I considered doing something regarding Danny faking his death and maybe introducing some other Oceans characters in this, but I decided against it because, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, it's a better fit for, like, the Oceans 10 to cap off the Ladies Trilogy, to cap off Debbie's Trilogy. Yeah. Than to all of a sudden do it 
in the ni- the Ocean's Nine, and because then what do you do for ten? Yeah, you do, unless unless you end up in like a Matrix or a Pirates of the Caribbean situation where you've got a two part trilogy, and those just are weird. Yeah, if you're gonna make three movies, I like them to be able to stand on their own. Mm-hmm. Same here. So, I have a few ideas flying around my head for what I want Ocean's Nine to be. But the crux of it is that, because I was inspired by the hustle, I do want Anne Hathaway, I want Daphne to take a larger role. Okay. And so my idea was that it starts off with her basically being shut out of her production company, or whoever was producing her films, by a nasty older male producer who's famous for getting a lot of people's careers started, and also famous for shutting down a lot of people's careers... Everyone listening knows exactly what we are implying with this. We don't even need to name that fuck. And it's not him in the film, but it is essentially the equivalent of him. Yep. It's Schmarvy Meinstein. <laughs> if we want to go there, we could even have a, a part where he's like, hey, maybe I'll like put you back on track again. If you do something, something for me. And she's like, I would rather gouge your eyes out with my stilettos. But I can't do that because there's people watching. So instead, I'm going to get my ladies book club back together and rob you blind. (laughs) And then we'll also bring up the fact that... So one of the things I mentioned in the first movie, or not the first movie, the first episode on the Ocean series was that it didn't seem like a lot of the people involved in the heist in Ocean's Eleven had as big a payout as they got in that movie. Yeah. And the payout in Ocean's Eight was, I think, about twice as much as that per person. Yeah. And also, a lot of these people are also first-timers, except Tammy, Lou, and Debbie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They also kind of need another heist because they also spent all their money already. (laughs) Yeah. It seems to be a thing with people with these sorts of personalities that get into this sort of field. The money can go very, very quickly. First rule of theft, don't spend all your money right away. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they wouldn't be spending it all right away, but they definitely had enough time to let a lot of it go. Yeah. But in various ways. So, for for example, uh, Rose is just basically living it up because she's back and famous again. And so she, like... Now that she can afford the lifestyle she used to have, she kind of forgot that it's not uh, economically viable. Yeah. Constance, because she's like made her living beforehand as a pickpocket and street hustler, I imagine that she got all her assets frozen. Easily. Because she's also a YouTuber now. Yes. <laughs> and I can just imagine it's like, oh, you you posted a whole video on how to pickpocket people, and then people like pointed you out on lineups for when they got pickpocketed, and now you're under investigation. (laughs) Yeah. Tammy, the fence, that's what she is. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah, because Lou is the fixer, and Tammy's the fence. Lou finds the people, Tammy finds the products. Yeah. Um, I can imagine that she sunk most of her money into her new business, but she probably had a deal gone wrong that cost her a chunk of capital. Yes. And also, it's just, it's more fun to be in the field is one of her more motivations, I would say. Yeah. Kate and Debbie, or sorry, Lou and Debbie, they probably would have held on to their stuff for a good amount, chunk of time. Yeah. Um, Amita probably spent a lot of her stuff on travel or just bought a really extravagant, expensive house. Easily. Um, And then as for Nineball, she probably sunk most of her money back into her community, actually. Yeah probably doing like what mc hammer did where he was 
giving money away to people in his neighborhood, which is good on him, but he was... He wasn't bringing in as much money as he was giving out. Well, I would imagine it's more so like she's investing. Well, okay. I'm, not, I'm not saying that in air quotes. I'm saying she's literally investing in the yeah. businesses in her community yeah. so and, that it doesn't end up getting gentrified. Yeah. And also the returns do take a while to happen. Yeah. But I, I mean, I also imagine Nineball is the kind of character who wouldn't necessarily care about that. Yeah. Because, like, I'm I'm just looking at the fact that she opens her own small business, presumably in her own community, yeah. as just a, a marker for what she would be doing going forward. Yeah. But yeah, so they, they've spent a good chunk of their money, and because, like, some of the professionals and some of them have gotten a taste, like, they know how to get more in bits and pieces, but it's they're looking for another big mark big to score. hit. Big score, yeah. Uh, yeah, big score. Thank you. I'm not going to remember a lot of words today. So yeah, they're looking for a big score, and here comes Daphne saying, well, my producer, the producer I'm working with, is the devil, and you know, he has a big fancy house full of a lot of fancy pieces of artwork and a lot of other fancy things. He deserves to not have those anymore. Yeah. And maybe while we're at it, we can get some blackmail material. Yes. So that's actually, I mean... Not to um, part the curtain too soon, but that's going to be more of what's happening. That's going to be the con within the con more so. Yeah. Is, well, I was torn. And the reason I'm torn is because I was trying to figure out how to execute my other idea. Because the one idea, like you said, it's like, it starts off, it's just a heist to steal a lot of his material wealth. Yeah. And get a lot of stuff out of his accounts. And then the con within the con is that they're, they are going to be blackmailing him, and he can't really go to anyone because then they can expose him with a preposterous amount of evidence that they've gathered. Mm-hmm. But my other idea, because the thing is, the if he's a producer, he's going to have a hand in a lot of copyrights and a lot of royalties on a lot of films. Yes. So my idea was that somehow they find a way to either remove him from the ownership, remove the ownership rights from him, of Ooh. all of those properties, or release them into the public domain. Huh. But I was trying... I don't know if there's a way that they could do that yeah. where it would stick. Yeah, because IP stuff is so weird and convoluted. Yeah. And there's probably a lot of stuff where, like, a person came with a script or came with an idea, or they have a finished product... And, like, the person that we are totally <laughs> basing this villain off of kind of stuck it in development hell or just, like, didn't, you know, screen it or whatever, didn't yeah. distribute it. So there's people still around who do technically still have some rights to that stuff, but they don't have the full rights to that stuff. And it really isn't the Ocean's uh, 19's place to steal that stuff. Yeah. Oh, oh, I just got an idea. I think I figured out what it can do. They can steal shares. Yeah. In the production company. And all of a sudden, so that by the end, even if, like, he catches on, is able to stop them from making bank off of all the material wealth they're getting away with, all of a sudden Daphne is the majority stakeholder in his production company. Yeah. And she can just force him out. Yeah. And plus, again, the blackmail, and he's probably... One of those people who 
yeah, he's powerful and he's got people that he could send after Daphne technically, but maybe they like her more than they fear him. <laughs> well, I was because I like I want more focus on Daphne, but I also don't want her to be the main character. I want yeah. there to be like an even playing field for most of the team. And so it would definitely be D- Debbie. It would be a Debbie confrontation. Maybe it's Daphne, yeah. Debbie, and Lou all together. Yeah. Yeah, because, well, also Hollywood is fucking corrupt. Again, a lot. Yeah. Like, especially back in the day, not so much now, but definitely back in the day, um, the mafia would use Hollywood productions to launder money. Yeah. It was a really safe investment for them. Oh, yeah. And it also guaranteed money going back. Like, more money. Like, I'm just imagining Debbie having a whole speech to the producer about how all the dirty tricks that they like to use in Hollywood were perfected in her hometown of Vegas. (laughs) You don't exist without us. All your best moves are all my beginner's moves. (laughs) Something like that. Yes. The the other major part, since it's Ocean's 9, we need a ninth member. Yeah. So who would the ninth member be? Well, I imagine that as they're plotting out how they're doing the heist, they're going to say that they need someone on the inside. And Tammy will suggest herself because she's the undercover person. And then they're going to say, it's probably some lines of, no, you're too old for his tastes. And Tammy is going to give them a look and they're going to be like, no, no, that's not a dig against you. He's just that kind of guy. And yeah. everyone has a moment to go, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they're in luck because... Uh, his latest assistant just quit, and so he's hiring a new one. So all they have to do is get to the new person that he hired before, or, or like get to the new person and convince her to go along with their heist plan before she gets any like stuff. Before she has any kind of um, uh, I don't the before vibes. Before she, yeah, I'm. I know the concept. It's. It's not institutionalized. It's more just like getting dug in deep. It's almost like... Yeah, before she's in too deep. Before yeah, she's before too she's, invested. Yeah, before she's too invested herself. Yeah, before so before any of that happens, they get to the new assistant. And so it'd be like right after she's hired. Yeah. And then they'll do like a fake interview with her. And then once they deem that she's the kind of person they can use, they'll do a whole reveal. Like, I... Like, she gets a call to go into an, an office building. Yeah. And it's just an abandoned building, but they've set it up to look like one of his production offices. Yeah. And there's an interview, and the interview is probably with Lou. Yeah. I, I, we need to picture Lou coming in with, like, these large glasses and her hair up in a bun and some large heels, and the only yeah. time she's worn a dress in her life. <laughs> yes. And she does a whole interview with her, and it's like, uh, what can you bring to the team? And like, um, are you prepared to fulfill all the needs of the producer? And da da da. And what would you have? What would you do if a girl said this, that, and the other thing about him? And how would you react on social media? And like, basically, just get a um, a sense of the girl and like if she would be okay with completely ruining his life and career and just mocking him in general. Yeah. And eventually, like, the girl will be like, "Listen, I I really need this job." And there's only so many places in Hollywood you can go, and I just have to hope that maybe the terrible things that happen to other girls don't happen to me. And then they're like, okay, you're in. And then, like, she'll clap her hands, like, all the walls will fall down. The assistant's like, oh my god, what the fuck's happening? Am I being punked? 
and they'll show up and like, hello, we would like to invite you to be a crime boss. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, for casting, um, my first thought for before I even had an idea for the character of the assistant, my first thought was putting Constance Wu in this. Okay. Uh, that's entirely based on the fact that I love her. Yeah. Um, and the fact that she was in Hustlers, but also I have not seen Hustlers yet. Yes. So I feel like I'd want to save that. Yeah. And yes, I I'll get around to it. It was just a real. It was a real busy month when it came out, y'all. Yeah. My second thought was putting Nicole Bahari in, um, and that was purely as a favor for Portia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I could see Nicole Bahari showing up in one of these as like an FBI or a cop or something like that, a character similar to Catherine Zeta Jones's from Ocean's Twelve. Yeah. Because that's the thing is that I can't see Nicole Bahari as a con artist, but I can easily see her as law enforcement. Okay. Even just a PI. Actually, hey, hang on. Maybe she. Maybe we do put her in as a PI. Ooh, yeah. She gets hired by the producer because the producer catches on that someone's investigating him. But so when I th- came up with the idea of having an assistant character, my first thought was, oh, now I'm probably going to forget her name. Hang on. Let me do a quick Google. Natalia Dyer was my first idea. Okay. Because she played a similar role in Velvet Buzzsaw. Okay. He's just a beleaguered assistant. But then I was catching up on Kim's Convenience. Oh. And I decided, you know what? No, we're putting Andrea Bang in this. Ooh. Andrea Bang plays Janet Kim in the Canadian sitcom Kim's Convenience. She's a really great Canadian actress. And she is really great at doing whole face journeys when being yes. exhausted by her family. Yes. <laughs> or friends. Or anyone, really. Yeah. <laughs> like she's great at playing mousy and awkward and then asserting herself when she needs to be <laughs> yeah Kim's convenience is great people should go check it out and it's on the same channel as Shit's creek so there exactly i still need to watch Shit's creek i've only seen like two and i've half seen episodes. a bit yeah i've heard it's really good but like there's there's so much content out there it's such a good show that my mother almost named the new dog moira <laughs> Anyways, now we have the assistant, and I guess we also have the uh, sympathetic inspector. Wait, yeah, sympathetic inspector antagonist. That's what the trope is. Also, I'm not bringing James Corden in for this. In the Ocean's 8, he played an insurance fraud investigator who was also very familiar with the Ocean family. Yeah. And so I would, if I'm going to bring him back, I'd probably bring him back for Ocean's 10. Um, I don't know. Check back next year for that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but I, he's not really necessary in this one. Yeah. Uh, n- now they have to plan a heist. I, I don't know how to plan a heist. <laughs> I should know how to plan a heist. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm guessing that they're going to enter his house. It's going to be some sort of interesting modernist mansion in Hollywood, I bet. Probably. It's definitely going to have, like, a waterfall or two incorporated yeah. somewhere. Probably good views of the of the valley and all that. Um, there's definitely going to be a golf course. Yeah. That's taking up way too much water. Yeah. God damn, you're draining the Colorado River with your golf courses and your almond groves. Oh, Nineball's going to hate this. She's going to hate this so much. <laughs> rich white people bullshit yeah although she's probably she's probably gonna have to have words with uh, amita 
if she also, if like I suggested, Amita bought herself her own huge house. Yeah, smaller houses are far more energy efficient and leave less of an environmental impact. But that doesn't mean you have to skimp on design and aesthetics. Yeah. My only gripe with tiny houses is that there's a house hunter's tiny houses. And one time, the first time I ever saw it, the people went into the tiny house and they said, I feel like this is too tiny. Wait until you see a Saudi. I wanted to reach the television and throttle the couple. Yeah. You're on here for a reason. Fucking, I am an antique napkin appraiser, and I breed guinea pigs for photo shoots. Oh, God. They're those types? They're always those types. It's house hunters. Ugh. God. No one has a real job. Everyone has a bullshit stupid job, but they make, like, as enough money that you'd think they're insta-thotties. Yeah. Probably because they live in areas where those fake jobs can exist, not like us who have to have a real job because we live out in the middle of butt-flat nowhere. <laughs> Speaking of insta-thotties, I would like to think that Constance is already on the guest list. Yes. <laughs> like, Nineball would have to do some hacking to, like, get everyone else in there. But Constance is like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm, date I'm dating an Instagram influencer, and he got invited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they always somehow get invited. <laughs> what up? It's your boy, uh, uh, little penis. <laughs> <laughs> like, I try to avoid Instagram influencers and the sort of YouTubers who just, like, they don't really have anything that they were about. They just talk. But somehow there's always drama? <laughs> <laughs> I... The only Instagram influencer I would date is maybe a fitness influencer. Okay. But it still depends on the type. Because there are fitness influencers who are like, Hey, everyone has their own body type, and I do this because this is what I want to do, but I'm not, I don't want people to think that this is the only way you can look to be attractive. Yeah. All bodies are beautiful. Hashtag peace and love. And yeah. then there are some who are like, what's up, subscribers? I just got 38 pallets of pure protein powder. Rise and grind. If you have a dream, you can be the dream. And the dream does have biceps the size of a school bus. Nah! Protein people scare me. <laughs> I used to be a twink, but then I got cast on Power Rangers and it gave me access to a gym. And now all I eat is raw steaks. <laughs> Oh god, they went keto! <laughs> I have a book, a hot girlfriend, and I'm part of seven different fan films! <laughs> god damn. <laughs> I'm not vague blogging about anyone. <laughs> You're totally not subtweeting! <laughs> all ranger actors should aspire to be like the Sadarsu brothers, who at this point all they do is be super soft boys and raise rabbits. <laughs> while still being shredded as fuck. Some people are good at it. Yeah. Anyways, which... It would have to be a self... We should cast a real Instagram person as the fake Instagram person. I don't know any real Instagram people influencers. We Wait. should cast someone off of Teens React. <laughs> or I know, I guess it would be College Kids React. Yeah. I still think of it as Teens React because so many of the college kids aged out of teens. Yeah. As they do. 
Yeah, time works in a linear fashion. <laughs> or at Sometimes least it's not it's... a flat circle. Sometimes it just does what it's supposed to do. Time is perceived to be linear. I don't know about aging. Time is a cheese wheel. <laughs> and it rolls down a hill. <laughs> and if you guess the correct cheese, you win a thousand yo points. <laughs> Look, I'm pretty sure someone who knows more about the physics of time could probably try to explain some of this, but at the same time, I don't even think physicists know what the fuck time is. I thought you were going to say someone who knows the physics of cheese. <laughs> and the physics of cheese. <laughs> if you can understand cheese, you can understand time. Yeah. So we have to, let's think of a few things that they would try to steal. There's definitely going to be like some modern art. Yes. And so they're going to have to forge it. Yeah. There's probably going to be some sort of classical art or possibly something that turns out to be a big piece of classical art because uh, at least with the example of Vermeer, he's rather easy to copy. That can be what goes wrong. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm thinking maybe not, not the classical art, but let's say that the producer has a whole bunch of old movie props. Yeah. And, like, they're very specific. And, like, if a collector got a good look at them, then they would know exactly, like, whether they're real or not. Yeah. And so they go and they get... However they do it, they're able to lift the props out from their display cases and replace them with forgeries. And yeah. then they get them back to their, like, base of operations. And Rose sees them, because Rose is the fashion person. So she sees them and is like, no, no, you, you forgot to switch these out with the forgeries. Like, no, we definitely put the forgeries in. Well, no, because these are forgeries. Oh my god, he didn't even have the real props. Fuck us. Also, <laughs> fuck him more. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing that he probably wouldn't have, because it's stupid to own if you don't have the proper place to store them, is like old film reels. Because up until the 1930s, they were made from uh, cellulose nitrate, which was highly explosive. And it deteriorates and becomes even more explosive. <laughs> that's conservation this Lindsay speaking um the NFB the National Film Board of Canada once had to move a whole bunch of old film stock from um I think they found it up in Whitehorse in the Yukon very carefully and the only reason why it hadn't deteriorated faster was because it's so cold up there too cold to explode yeah you have to keep that stuff in cold storage God, someone should tell Michael Bay about that stuff. I bet he'd love filming on that kind of stock. <laughs> Let's see it explode! <laughs> you don't understand. The film is the explosion. <laughs> but yeah, um, sadly, a lot of um, old films are gone, especially from the silent era, are gone because of basically fires. Uh, or yeah. or people just getting rid of them to make room. Yeah, that too, because film stock was also hella expensive back in the day, so they would just like straight up like erase stuff and reuse it. Cough, BBC, cough. Yeah. Hey, at least uh, the Doctor Who archives has all of the audio. Yeah. But anyway, uh, leading into the whole lost film thing, you could possibly say that he has some stock, well, not stock, but, like, stilts from these films, and it turns out that they were fake. 
because the only thing that we have to corroborate them is maybe some remnants of script, maybe a description. Sometimes it's just the title. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I'd imagine this not Harvey Weinstein being pretentious enough and a, enough of a basic bitch to get stuff like this. It could also be, I, I like the idea of having the film stock and I like the idea that it's extremely fragile. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that it would be the real deal but the girls decide not to try and lift them because it's so difficult to transport them yeah. and keep them safe to the point where you could fence them. Yeah. But then they have to resort to that once the uh, the props turn out to be forgeries. Yeah. And so they have to quickly figure out a way to basically MacGyver up some way to transport them while keeping them in a cool enough environment so that yeah. they don't burst into flames. Yeah. <laughs> Or we save that stuff for the very end when, say, he gets busted or people start coming forward and he has to liquidate some of his remaining assets to pay for lawyers. And one of them is, I've got to sell off the, these old films to some place that can take care of them, like an archive. And then, well, hey, the archive just happens to be right downtown in this building you thought was abandoned. Or this is the States, so the freaking... Library of Congress can be like, hey, we we got a plane coming, okay? <laughs> Just have <laughs> no. someone there. No, when we no, get this there. is what I'm thinking is that he goes he goes to liquidate the film stock, and it's it, the, he goes to the big store that <laughs> the Ocean's Nine team has set up, <laughs> and one of the team members that he hasn't seen yet is posing as the archivist person and they take it and they like give him the money so that he can afford to like pay for the lawyers now. Yeah. And then the check bounces. Yeah. And so he goes back to find them and they're gone. And now they have the film stock, which they can now sell themselves. And also another thing about um, archiving, especially when you're giving stuff to a major um, archive, at least up here in Canada, there's always paperwork to show how an archive got the stuff. And this includes, like, if it was sold to the archive, more often than not, it's donated. And oftentimes, uh, these people want a tax rebate. So that's why you create these documents. One of the other things is that they could have created a fake document, a fake, yeah, acquisition form. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Basically, forge it. So forge a fake acquisition form. And then even if he's able to track them down, they can show the form. But oh, snap, now it's a donation form. Yeah. He gave us these for free. Yeah, and he didn't ask for um, for a tax break for it. Um, let's see, what else? I'm saying, because I got to also check other people's roles. So Amita was the Julie forger in the first one. Yeah. So it would be nice to see her kind of branch out into art and fashion forgery. Props, yeah. Because it all kind of... Like, they're all specialized skills within Hollywood, like creating props, special effects, um, makeup, and costuming and all that, but they all do work together. Oh, I just got an idea. What if uh, Rose is trying to steal somebody's uh, costume design Oscar? Ooh. Like, the producer has, he, like, because of just the way things work out in production, he ended up with a costume design Oscar for a certain film. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you can't so apparently you cannot sell academy awards even if you won them oh 
you have to offer to sell them back to the Academy for the price of $1 before you can sell them to anyone else. Huh. So my idea is that Rose is stealing it, not for any monetary gain, but just, you know, for spite. Yeah. Or maybe someone did try to sell off someone's Academy Award and he ended up getting it because he's that sort of person. And it's maybe a famous old Hollywood uh, costume designer. I was just thinking of um, who designed Grace Kelly's wedding dress because she was a major... Google knows what I'm looking for. Helen Rose. Yes. Oh, hey. So Rose Wilde, played by Helena Bonham Carter, tries to get back the Oscar for that was uh, given to Helen Rose. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. And then looking at other stuff, obviously there's a lot of hacking that you can do, and I'm sure Nineball would have a lot of fun just messing with a lot of stuff beyond what's necessary in the house. Oh, yeah. Because the producer, he's going to have fucking smart house. Oh. <laughs> smart house is, is like the worst decision you can ever make. Yep. <laughs> it's like, did nobody read 1984 in high school? Where like inside uh, the main character Winston's house, he has a big screen that's constantly listening in on him. Yeah, he can tune it down, but he can never turn it off. Here's the problem. The people that read that book became uh, software and hardware developers, and they thought oh, it was aspirational. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're the they're the frickin' Silicon Valley bros. Remember when we used to say be nice to nerds because you'll work for them one day? That was a mistake. Yeah, um, I would say jocks bully nerds a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's your lesson today, kids. If you get your lunch money stolen, you deserve it, apparently. Okay, we shouldn't say that, but if you're being that... If by high school, especially late high school, if you're that insufferable nerd that nobody likes, beat them up. How, let's let's phrase it like this. Not specifically nerds, but if, if you, there's anyone in your high school talking about either their startup... Or their trust fund. Kick the shit out of them. They deserve a swirly. Give them a wedgie they'll never forget. Yeah, hang them from the flagpole. <laughs> it builds character. <laughs> God knows they could use some. Yes. Um, right, so, okay. As much as I said I wanted Daphne to have a bigger role, she hasn't had much of a role in the con itself. Yeah. Most of her stuff is basically going to be her kind of just greasing the entire guest list yeah yeah i see her as a bit more of the mastermind behind this one than debbie is because this is more personal uh well i would say debbie is like daphne's like here's what we can do and should do to mess with him and here's the people that i, I know and debbie's yeah. like okay here's how we can use these yeah yeah daphne has the pieces debbie has a plan yeah and uh, since, since daphne is a lot more of the the, the face of yeah. everything going on. She's the one who can kind of guide people and distract people. Yeah. And then she's also the person who would probably be starting to grease people to get the shares in the company. Yeah. Because a good chunk of them, I'm sure she could just get transferred to her account via some nine ball hacking magic. Yeah. Hack hacking is just witchcraft. Yeah. Quasi-legal stuff. <laughs> one the sort of stuff where it takes a team of lawyers to go through the paperwork line by line <laughs> yeah but like a lot of this is going to have to look legit and so she's going to have to be like make deals with people to get their shares yeah 
And so I imagine, like, while the big party is happening for the producer, she's going around to people like, and you know, I recently came into a good sum of money, and I'm I'm not sure how, how, where I'm going with my movie making business right now. So I was thinking I would just invest in the production company because it's been just so good to me. <laughs> and so I was wondering if I could buy some of your shares off of you. And then she's basically forming a chain of deals so that they're also able to fence off all the stuff that they're stealing from the producer. Yeah. So it's probably going to be Daphne working closely with Tammy. Yeah. But also, because of a thing I figured out earlier where I decided that the team is being kept, or Daphne and her associates are being investigated by Nicole Bahari's private investigator character. Yes. This is going to become dating Catwoman. (laughs) Where Daphne will put the moves on Nicole Bahari. Ooh. And by the end, Nicole Bahari is like, you know what? Crime does pay. And it pays out in attractive six feet tall women. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, no, I'm not going to go there. Where are you going? We might be an explicit, (laughs) we might be an explicit show, but I'm, that's for later, Lindsay. Actually, I don't even know how tall Anne Hathaway is. She certainly seems tall. Yeah, but that might be shoes. Yeah, I just, hmm. Let's take a moment to think of what kind of lists my Google is going to attach me to if I Google the height of Anne Hathaway. You can always go to uh, IMDb. I'm pretty sure it's there. Why do they keep track of people's heights? Because this is also a site that actual casting agents go to. Okay. Oh, hey, if you just Google Anne Hathaway, it will give you her height and also her shoe size. Huh. So... So, good news, you can find out Anne Hathaway's shoe size without ending up on Wikifeed itself. <laughs> uh, Anne Hathaway is 1.73 meters. Which, in feet, because Canada is weird. Uh, 5.6. Okay, a little bit taller Almost 5.7. I'm taller than Anne Hathaway. Yeah. She just has tall energy. Yes. And she's taller than Sandra Bullock by a little bit. Oh. Hmm. I guess that is shoes. And angles that you shoot people from. Just two centimeters. <laughs> yeah. Well... You know, all the behind-the-scenes photos of Robert Downey Jr. when he wasn't in the Iron Man costume, where he has to wear lifts. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> everybody else around him was tall. Or or the Scully box from X-Files to make sure yeah. Mulder... Moldy and Sculler! Because, yeah, having, um, having two characters with a major height difference is, like, really cute and all that, but it's hell to shoot, <laughs> as it turns out. So, yeah. Get in, get the stuff, find out that some of the stuff is fake, in which case we can make, make even more fun of not Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine to get the film reels out that have to like... They'll need a uh, truck, almost like um, like what you bring vegetables in for a grocery store. A refrigerated yeah. truck. You definitely need a refrigerated truck. And so now, now Tammy's up. You have to get a refrigerated truck here (laughs) in under two hours. This is not like anything can happen. (laughs) So the plan is, uh, Constance pickpockets all the keys that could get someone into the kitchen, and then all the doors are locked. Oh no, dinner is ruined! And Ah. then Constance is like, hold up y'all, I'm an Instagram influencer, and you know what that means? I am best friends with 17 different food trucks. That is true. (laughs) 
so she calls a whole bunch of food trucks in, and while they are, Lou and Tammy are just casually driving their own in. Because <laughs> Lou disguised herself as a chef to get into the Met Gala in the first one, so yeah. I'm imagining she just knows how to cook. She also yeah. went to a restaurant in the first one. So yeah, Lou was probably just like a moonlight as a professional chef. Yeah. She needs a day job to, in between jobs, I bet. Oh, there, there should be a scene where Lou makes Debbie breakfast, because oh. they are definitely together in this one, and it's explicit. Yeah. The, the subtext from Ocean's 8 that became pining in Ocean's First is now text in Ocean's <laughs> 9. <laughs> I love it. I gotta check. I want to make sure I gave everyone something to do. I think I did. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, every, everyone basically has something to do in this. Good. Yeah, yeah. so they sneak the food, their own food truck in, and while Lou is serving stuff, they, like, very carefully sneak the film stock into, like, a secret compartment in the truck so that it can stay cold. And then they can also use the truck as their getaway vehicle for all the other stuff. Yeah. Which, someone's probably gonna either... Hang on. Da, da, da. Yeah, because they probably wouldn't have a getaway vehicle there already, because I imagine everyone gets limoed in. Yeah. It's that kind of party. Or... There are fancy SUVs that a person could come in. Or or even just Nicole Bahari's private investigator, she like spots the car, like she she makes some of them or at least makes the vehicle and knows that that's the vehicle they'd be leaving in and so she has one of her like subordinates always keep an eye on that car. Yeah. And so they can't if they even try and go near it, they're going to get caught. Mhm. So they have to find a different means of getting out. And then, yeah, through a series of deals and a fake archival scam. <laughs> oh, we should we should think of some stuff for Andrea Bang's assistant character to yeah. do beyond just being the girl on the inside, even though that, that is going to be the majority of her stuff. Yeah, just to get the information about his movements and all that. Yeah, and she'd probably, she'd probably be uh, quarterbacking even at the party itself. Like, she'd just be hanging around the same rooms he's in, and she'd be quickly going like, Okay, he's on his way to this room. Uh, now he's heading this way. So finish off really quickly, ladies. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, a character, real life got real dark. So when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't need to delve too deep. We could just have some girl exiting a room that he's in in tears oh we don't even need that much we, we like it can all be not hearsay but just it's it's one of those it's things a where known fact it's it's a known fact and here's a situation where tell can be work a lot better than showing yeah especially if you use the kind of uh dialogue that's through all the ocean series where it's really just kind of half sentences that gets the point across yeah and just really quick and snappy yeah yeah, like the, as you said earlier, uh, he's not. You're too old for him. What? No, he's really into. He's oh, just like that. He's just like that. But or even like even near the beginning, they'd be like, "So that's produ the producer that yeah, and he really did yeah he did and but didn't he also yeah he did that too and nobody nope not a one well damn okay let's rob him yeah. <laughs> It's that easy. Yes. And then, yeah, and at the end, we'll, like, we'll have Daphne doing a whole press conference where she ousts him from the production company and uh, assumes direct control. 
And then he confronts Debbie because he recognizes her from the party. And then he re- realizes that he saw her at the fake archival place too. And like yeah. just a bunch of other places over the past week or however long they've been casing him. Mm-hmm. And he confronts her and she's like, yeah, you found us out, but you can't really do anything about it because you don't have a studio. So you have nothing to leverage. We took all the stuff that you could sell to buy things, except for the things that we couldn't steal, which you just gave to us. You can't go to the cops because we have all of this blackmail information on you. And you can't chase us down because we're not even based out of here. And all the tricks that you learned from your Hollywood old school, they learned from my Vegas old school and probably my own dad. Yeah, I'd imagine just like throw in an extra line of, oh yeah, as it turns out, nobody fucking likes you. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing about being an asshole, is that when you fall, you fall hard. Even just like in uh, Ocean's 13, where they're looking at the TV that has Terry at Oprah talking about stuff, and they're, <laughs> I don't know, someone, one of the uh, female stars is giving an interview to someone and they start tearing up like, yeah, good job team. Oh, I imagine the Oprah type thing would be when Daphne's doing her press conference. Oh no, it'd be after the press conference and she goes on to a talk show and talks about how like, she's just so glad that uh, she's in control of this company. And the very first thing they're going to be doing is investigating all the claims that have been lobbed against them in the media to ensure that everyone working for the company is on the up and up. And after that, I'm just really looking forward to producing stories made by all kinds of different women. Yeah. And then the producer explodes. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, metaphorically, who knows? End credits. Cue awesome jazzy music. Yep. Um, What would it be? Hound Dog? Yeah. Yeah. I I think that about covers it. Yeah. You got a beginning, middle, and end. Lindsay, we invented a heist. Woo! <laughs> We're never going to make it as criminals. They know all of our tricks. We're never going to make it as criminals because our our heist planning is basically just, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could steal this? Yeah. Let's steal it. And then we did steal it. Wasn't yeah. that cool? Yeah. <laughs> How to be better criminals with Tanner and Lindsay. Yes. First rule, don't pos- post anything to Facebook. Exactly. <laughs> That's how Aquafina got her assets frozen. Yes! <laughs> you can even see Debbie just going like, oh my god, Constance. As soon as, as soon as Constance has access to her bank accounts again, she immediately dumps her Instagram boyfriend. Yes. Oh, I can see him being inseparable in some fashion. I have no... See, I don't know who to cast from Instagram without casting in someone who's actually insufferable. Yeah. Or maybe not insufferable, just like an airhead who's kind of boring after a while. Or maybe a celebrity who looks like an Instagram thought. Yeah. I can't think of any. Someone young and fresh off of Power Rangers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Get Peter Sidarso, put him in a hipster scarf. Yeah. <laughs> and a crop top. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think... That covers everything we could have talked about for this movie. Yeah. So we're going to go deal in a friendship promo. Hey, Alex, you love Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Want to listen to a new Harry Potter podcast? No. Oh. But Sorted is not a Harry Potter podcast, but instead a podcast about everything else viewed through the lens of Harry Potter. Cool. What does that mean? 
It means we're gonna sort things. Ash Ketchum's a Slytherin. Shrek's a Gryffindor. Your dog is a Hufflepuff. And all Ravenclaws are robots. Come check out Sorted, not a Harry Potter podcast. On the Pocket Podcast Network. Not to put her on blast, but audience, did you know that Lindsay doesn't know how to shuffle cards? Look, it wasn't a skill that I learned. You mean you guys never had weekly cribbage games? No. We were more hearts and chase the ace anyway. Ah. Yeah. There's still card games. Well, we used old crappy cards that you didn't have to take care of. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, before I learned how to shovel... Uh, shovel. No. <laughs> I just put the cards in a shovel and flip them. <laughs> That's the way to do it. I mean, no, but before I learned how to shuffle, I would basically just do 52 pickup. Yeah. Like, I do know how to do the whole overhand shuffle, but, like, I know that that does ruin the edges of the cards, but, like, I also didn't play, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! and all that, where the artwork matters. I mean, you have to break the cards in a little bit. Yeah. If, if you're trying to keep your cards perfectly crisp and clean, then put them in sleeves. Yes. Or don't play with them. Yes, you're a collector. They're not dolls. They're not action figures. They're collectible items. <laughs> when my grandpa taught me 52 pickup, I didn't catch on to the irony of it. And then he came outside and watching me just throwing cards all over the backyard. <laughs> Tanner, what are you doing? I'm playing 52 pickup. But uh, that's, you know what? Sure. You're doing something. You're, you're six. You're, you have a lot of energy. You're staying relatively out of trouble. Just don't throw them into the pond. Yeah. Again, water is the enemy of all things paper. Yep. So don't use it to put out film stock fires. No! <laughs> that is a fire extinguisher thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just you just set it out to sea and you give it a Viking funeral. Yeah, you might as well at that point. Speaking of Vikings, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? <laughs> I'm at lindsayam476 that's Lindsay spelled with an A and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there Tanner where can people find you you can find me on twitter at sparkyupstart and on instagram at sparkyyoungupstart you can also find this very podcast on n-i-i-r-y-f pod those are the letters for not if I reboot you first and they're pronounced a little less conversation a little more action yeah not if I reboot you first is now a member of the corner podcast network and you can uh, check them out and listen to other great Corner Podcast Network podcasts such as the Home for Wayward OCs and Faithful. Oh yeah, by the way, we're part of the Corner Podcast Network now. Yay! Yay! That's the big announcement. Woo! It'll become official on <laughs> date here. <laughs> uh, anyways... So I'm sure I'm sure we'll find a better way to work that into our uh, ending comments. Yeah. <laughs> at some point. So uh, with that being said, you can also email us at notifireboutyoufirst at gmail.com where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, or you how you would rob the Hollywood elite. <laughs> we will not read those out loud on the air. We will just it'll be a collaboration. Yeah. You'll find out about it on soon. You'll find out how things worked out if you read the papers and find out that uh, now we and Lindsay own Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, if you email us, you could even ask us to be a guest or ask to be a guest with us. Let me try mm. that again. 
You could even ask to be a guest, but if you do, make sure you send us a hint instead of the entire idea because we like being surprised. If you'd like to support us directly, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash first, where you can get a bevy of bonuses by supporting us financially, including a weekly shout-out for all our patrons, including Charlie and Cassidy. Thanks, Charlie and Cassidy. If you're wondering why there was a weird pause, it's because I almost just read out the template, which just says, Patrons! <laughs> you know, our favorite patrons, Patrons. <laughs> you can also rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, and if you can't find us on your podcatcher of choice, then contact me and I'll try and get us in there. Last but not least, our cover art, as always, is by Alex, a.k.a. Pachoo, and her work can be found on ptcagw.com. And our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. Wow, that ending sequence did not go nearly as well as usual, but you know what? Such is the life of a con artist. (laughs) (laughs) We're just uh, faking it till we make it. Basically. So, Tanner. Lindsay. You want a hint for next week's episode? I extremely want a hint. So we're staying on the uh, spooky vein from last week and uh, taking another trip down Canadian Nostalgia Lane and going over to uh, the center. (laughs) Hang on, I'm trying. I should know this. Okay, no, now I think I think I know where we're going. Are we still gooey? There's gonna be goo. We're still gooey, grimy, sticky, slimy. The characters get gooey, grimy, sticky, slimy, but that's mostly during the climax of each episode. What is it with Canadian children's shows just covering everything in gack? I don't know. <sighs> I don't know what sort of psychosis happened. Like collectively happened to all Canadian animation that resulted in Ivana the Yukon. <laughs> Welcome to YTV, or as we're known, uh, 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 nicknamedly, Slime Time. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we'll do those wet stunts next week, but not if we reveal you first. Bye. Hey Alexa, are gingers made out of old film stock?